Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 9.02 here on SENZ. Uh, Morena to you and Morena especially to the ladies uh, around because it's Ladies' Day at Flemington today, and I think we should uh, pay tribute to you on both sides of the Tasman. So uh, have a good one. Have a good one. And if you're having a, a punt on the Oaks today, have a successful one. Uh, we've got uh, quite an intriguing show this morning, shall I say that? Scott Barrett, uh, one of the Barrett clan, believe it or not, making his debut for the Naki this weekend. Can you believe that? Then we're going to go to Atlanta. Joe Patrick, a reporter for 92.9 The Game on the Braves being the World Series champions for the second time since 1966. Peter Fulton, two metre Peter, just after 10 o'clock. Uh, talk about Canterbury and the Plunkett Shield, but also a look back at uh, New Zealand against Scotland last night. Talk through uh, another couple of uh, cricketing issues, I guess, uh, along the way. Ollie Ritchie and Ross Carl, uh, the panel this morning. Louis Herman Watt on Oaks Day and Pitt Morris. How appropriate talking to Pitt Morris on Ladies Day. Ricardo Ball after 11 o'clock. Uh, with all our footballing update, as we like to do on a Thursday at that time. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, the concerning news of Carl Heyman's plight with dementia issues at the tender age of 41 is yet another blow to the solar plexus of rugby authority. The headline acts, such as former internationals, are obviously the ones that further raise the awareness and the concern. But what about the many stories of those at levels below that never make the cut? Truly it's a problem, a massive one, but it is authority the true villain here. Should the game and those that run it be held solely responsible for the outcome of these seemingly all too common on-field issues? Yes, for us, rugby is a religion, but no one forces anyone to go to this church. Whilst quite a few of our freedoms seem to be disappearing on a daily basis, the freedom of choice to play the game with its rules and dangers is still with the individual, and it always has been. Just as boxers have a choice, mixed martial artists have the same, motor racing drivers take the gamble every time in the cockpit, jockeys, jockeys on a horse on the flat or over the sticks, NFL, NRL, AFL, they all have collisions which are plain to see but their prospects and chances are clear and obvious before the whistle even blows. Cricket introduced helmets some 45 years ago. I promise you batters, and I hate that damn word, uh, were getting, they were getting sconed a long time before that. At what cost to the brain? Who would know? The simple truth is most sports have clear and present danger, and if you're not aware of them, where have you been? Carl Heyman played over 400 games at a very high and physical level. How many scrums, tackles, collisions during game and practice time is that? He won't deny it was his choice. It's hugely sad, this outcome. There's no doubt another very public point to add to the debate. But authorities are fighting just as hard 
to protect the game and its participants. Doctors, sideline present, with a sideline presence which is obvious. HIA, the tests continue to increase on a game-by-game -game basis. Stand-down time is common, monitoring improving all the time. Short of putting ribbons around the player's waist and renaming the game Golden Oldies, what more can authorities do? The game is what it is and always has been. There's always room for tweaking, just as there's always room for choice. At club level, you pay your money and you take your chance. Higher up the food chain and those games we get to see on telly, you get paid your money, but you still take your choice. Will the issue stop mums and dads taking their kids to rugby registration? Maybe, even probably. Will it quell the desire for the black jersey though? I seriously doubt it. It is 9.07 here on uh, SENZ and after that long-winded sermon I'm uh, pleased to say we've got uh, current All Black and uh, Taranaki player Scott Barrett uh, on the phone this morning. We've already talked to his dad this week and talked about um, Bodie's 100th Test match and uh, what it meant to the family. Um, but uh, I'd like to know what Scott thinks about it. Good morning to Scott. Uh, thanks very, very much for joining us. Good morning, Smithy. Uh, yeah, I yeah, think Oh, you go, mate. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, pretty big, pretty big moment. Uh, so, how did you reflect on it yourself? You know, I mean, you've played a lot of those games with him. Yeah, it was uh, yes, typical Bodie fashion. I uh, started the game off with an intercept try, and um, yeah, picked um, picked one up later in the game. But um, yeah, uh, it was awesome to watch. Um, pretty proud as a brother to see, I guess, um, yeah, a hundred tests. Um, even one is uh, pretty awesome, but yeah, to hundred to get to a hundred, it's um, yeah, it's a it's a huge huge achievement and uh, something we're pretty proud of as a family. As a family, I, I quite often watch you guys uh, line up. If, if all three of you are in the twenty-three, you quite often line up for the national anthem and that together. So even though you are individuals within the group, family's obviously very strong, a very strong bond even within the All Blacks. Yeah, for sure. Um, we arrive at the game, uh, often sit beside each other or try to, and yeah, like you said, line up beside each other in the national anthem. Um, yeah, because I think Bodie mentioned that you, we don't take that moment for granted. Um, that's what we sort of dreamed about and um, played scenarios in the backyard of you know playing for the All Blacks, and I guess to do it together, it's yeah, it's it's certainly pretty special. Before we get on to you know what you've been up to, the, the, the other issue that's um, raised again um, after Carl Heyman coming out very publicly and, and uh, saying that he, he's under pressure with dementia, etc., because of um, effects from the game. Uh, I mean, rugby's been in the, uh, the Barrett family since the Barrett family have been around. Is it an issue that you guys have talked about with, with your mum and dad, etc., the dangers of the game, or were you just accepted of that? Yeah, I was talking to Mum yesterday about it after I heard, um, I guess, the news with Carl. It's, um, yeah, unfortunate, and um, no one really wants, uh, wishes that upon anyone, but, um, yeah, it is a contact sport, and um, you play it at your, your own risk, I guess, and that's um, part of it. And today, um, 
you know, everyone's aware of it and there's measures to reduce the, um, I guess, the burden of um, concussion and all that sort of thing. And um, we've seen it in our family. Uh, Kane had to retire because of concussion. So I think, um, yeah, it's, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be a risk. And, yeah, like you alluded to before, it's um, it's a choice. Um, and I think it starts early from a young age around technique, within the tackle and um, you know knowing where to put your head and how to use your body and um, knowing your limits I guess Yeah I mean I, I, I totally agree with you and I, and I, I, I like the fact that you say it, it is at the end of the day uh, still a choice uh, Look mate this, uh, this is a debut for Taranaki I can't quite believe that but it is um, tell, us, uh, tell us about the expectation and carrying on that Barrett tradition yeah, no, it's a long-awaited. Uh, I signed three or four years ago now um, after, yeah, I guess, starting my career down in Canterbury and um, haven't, I haven't played for Taranaki since uh, the under-18s and, um, yeah, it's nice to get the opportunity, um, yeah, to play um, against Southland and, um, <clears throat> yeah, play with some of my mates from that team back then, Tairangi Walden, um, and yeah, guys from school, uh, Ricky Riccatelli. So yeah, no, it's pretty um, awesome to get the opportunity to, I guess, train and um, play with um, the Taranaki team. And yeah, Taranaki is such a proud rugby region. And um, yeah, looking forward to the opportunity. So, how much contact uh, have you had uh, with the squad? How many trainings you've been to? Yeah, trained last week uh, during the bye week and. Had a full week this week, so um, yeah, I guess um, ready to go um, as, as, as well as I can be with the limited, I guess, come back from Aussie quarantine and all that sort of thing and um, keeping things ticking over. But in last week and ready to go this week. Well, this, this team's going pretty well, mate. Um, they've uh, functioning nice in a home game against Southland, so uh, they're seven from seven. You can't ask for much more than that. Yeah, for sure. I've been impressed with uh, what Neil Barnes has done with the group and, um, you know, there's a genuine excitement with the guys and uh, the way he's, I guess, coaching and um, that sort of thing. He's allowing the, uh, the guys to play an exciting brand and, um, you know, they've had a few injuries and had to draw on, um, you know, a lot of local club players, which is, I guess, what um, provincial rugby is about. Um, yeah, local guys playing and um, doing their province proud. Uh, Neil Barnes is a, a really passionate man. We've heard his uh, beliefs about promotion, relegation and rewarding those sides that do well, even in these times. Uh, tell us a wee bit about uh, Barnsley as a coach now that you've been up close and personal. Yeah, Barnsley's yeah, he's certainly passionate. Um, he's a proud Tananaki man and um, yeah, I've been impressed with, I guess, his, his knowledge of the game, um, not just uh, the forward play, I guess the whole whole team, but more so as a head coach. He's, um, you know, he wants to understand his players. He's, um, you know, digs deep into individuals' values and um, comes up with a collective, um, I guess, vision for the team, which has been impressive to see. Um, you know, 
uh, digging into the roots of what it means to be a Tanaki person and play rugby for the province. So you can see, um, you know, seven from seven, it's a result of what he's doing there. You you chose to come um, home early, of course, uh, after the uh, Australian leg of uh, the All Blacks tour. Um, pretty easy decision for you? Yeah, I think um, I know early on I was thinking that I was going to stay away and uh, go on tour, but the more I talked with um, yeah, some of the guys in the team and, um, yeah, I guess anyone who's um, who's a father, um, yeah, that was become more and more evident that I needed to be there and, um, yeah, the more I sort of understood it, yeah, I wanted to be there to support Hannah and, um, yeah, that's a pretty special occasion. Um, yeah, the arrival of your first um, baby, so... Hopefully it doesn't interrupt uh, with my debut this week, but um, yeah, if it does, then uh, we'll just deal with it and hopefully be another opportunity. Yeah, so um, on looking forward, of course, the uh, Taranaki uh, are going to be in a, a playoff situation. Uh, are you available for the rest of the season, or is it just a sort of a week by week basis? Um, I actually haven't had the conversation with uh, Barnes yet, but I think it's sort of almost a week by week. Uh, depending on when the baby comes, all that sort of thing. So it's actually due next week uh, on the semi-final day. So, um, yeah, just sort of taking it day by day at the moment. And, um, yeah, I'd like to be available and um, help the team uh, where I can. But at the same time, uh, the reason I've sort of come back from overseas is to support my wife. And, um, yeah, so just sort of playing it day by day at the moment. How's the uh, Crusaders uh, franchise shaping up this year? Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty good. I've had a conversation with uh, Razor about, um, I guess, what he's thinking. A um, bit of alignment between coach and, uh, I guess, captain and starting the conversation around a few things there. But, um, yeah, he does a really good job in the off-season with uh, shaping the squad and, um, I guess, building the... Uh, pre-season with um, yeah, the new talent that comes in. As you flew home, ironically, Josh Lord sort of almost passed you in the air, uh, a young kid that not many people knew too much about, a uh, young Taranaki lock. Um, <coughs> have you had much to do with him over, the, over his short career at all, or do you even know him very well? Uh, yeah, I've... Um I've known him a wee bit, just uh, through Coastal and, yeah, I guess, um, Coastal Rugby Club and been in Taranaki and played against him uh, in the Chiefs this year. Um, yeah, he's he's a, you know, certainly a, a skillful player and uh, he's been playing well for Taranaki and obviously deserved his debut against um, the US and I think he's, yeah, he's a tall frame, skillful player and, um Probably someone to uh, hopefully doesn't chomp at my heels too much um, in the coming years. Yeah, I so just want we talked about we talked about Bowden, uh, Scotty. We talked about Bowden, and we, and we uh, you know, but what I'd, I'd like to talk if I could just briefly about um, Alan Wynne Jones, of course, a fellow lock as such. The longevity of a lock being able to play 149 Test matches so far. 
Um, I, I would imagine being a member of the Locks Club, you've you got to admire and respect that. Yeah, for sure. I think it's actually uh, we played them the last game of the Rugby World Cup and for some reason I thought he was retiring then. I, was, I actually said, uh, oh, congrats, congratulations on an awesome career because at that stage you already played 120-odd test matches and he actually turned around and said, oh, I'm not retiring, mate. Um, it must have been someone else I got mixed up with. But, yeah, that's 149 tests. It's, um, yeah, certainly pretty impressive. Um, actually, yeah, I'm only on 48 myself, so that's another 100 games, 101 games on top. It's, um, yeah, hard to sort of imagine uh, what yeah. the state my body would be in or let alone, I guess, my mind. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a bit of a shame to see him uh, walk down the tunnel prematurely the other night. But however, uh, mate, hey, thanks very much for catching us. Good luck, uh, uh, first of all, primarily. Good luck uh, with the, the birth. That, that's the main thing on the agenda, of course. And uh, after that, uh, Taranaki Crusaders, the All Blacks, whatever happens. Uh, uh, thanks very much for talking to us this morning and being so uh, honest about a couple of those issues. Yeah, no worries. Cheers, Smitty. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, Scott. Yeah, Scott Barrett there, uh, folks. Uh, one of the famous Barrett clan who've devoted so much of their lives, uh, of course, to rugby, to Taranaki rugby, to rugby around New Zealand, all fully aware and having conversations uh, from time to time with mum and dad, etc., uh, about the dangers of playing the game. But at the end of the day, um, he admits that it's a choice. It's a personal choice. And So what do you think? Double eight, double three. I know it's a very passionate issue. Double eight, double three is our text number. Is it as simple as choice? Uh, a, a choice like that. Uh, the more you play, every time you play, uh, you run the risk. It's every time you you hop on a horse as a jockey, you run the risk. You you drive a car at three hundred k per hour. No one forces you to do that. Uh, it is your choice. But um, could the rugby union be doing a lot more? Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure about this. I, I mean, I, I I'm lucky. I, I sit on the sideline. I hear the contact. I see the contact. Uh, I see these guys walking past me almost um, every game to get their HIA tests, etc. Very, very few of them pass it. Very few. The ratio of successful HIA tests would be very low compared to those that pass and go back out onto the field. I'd say it'd be as low as 10%. Almost 9 out of 10 would fail. And, and that means that it's a tough test, and so it damn well should be, and I, I think they've done it pretty well right in that area. So, you know, it's a... Is it about choice? It's it's such a passionate thing. It's it's like a lot of things that we're a bit scared to debate, but we shouldn't be because it's an open and honest problem. If you're a parent, does it make you want to perhaps think twice about taking your kids to register for rugby on a Saturday morning? Get on, get hold of us, double eight double three. Love to hear your thoughts. Nine twenty one. To behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 9.26, uh, text come in, hey Smithy, boxing in the USC have a six-month stand-down after a head knock, it seems crazy, how quickly guys are allowed to head back on the field, most super NPC players seem to be getting back after only three to four weeks, so a pro rugby player could in theory have four concussions in the space of a time that a boxer UFC fighter has one, it is, it is an issue uh, with the timing perhaps rather than the process. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I guess uh, they're sort of together. 
the timing and the process together, John. It's um, it seems uh, every now and then it just uh, seems to pop up in this uh, Carl Heyman issue. Uh, such a high-profile player uh, who's made a lot of money out of playing the game, uh, and he wouldn't deny that. He also wouldn't deny the fact that he chose to play as long as he did. Uh, and now, of course, um, these uh, symptoms, these horrible symptoms, have hit him at such an early age. So, uh, obviously, there's a loser here. It's, um, but I, I'm not sure there can be any winners in this debate. No, and it's changed since Carl Heyman's day, hasn't it? Uh, listening to James Broadhurst on with Staffy yesterday was quite enlightening about when he got his head knock, and that was only five years ago for the Hurricanes, left prone on the ground. Play didn't stop Smithy, and he's just lying there prone, knocked out, and then gets up, plays on, gets a little brush from a teammate not long after that, prone again on the ground, plays on, doesn't remember playing the game, no medical staff come out and help him. It's just unbelievable that that was the way they were treating concussions only five or six years ago. And like you outlined earlier, Smithy, you're on the sideline, you see players doing HIAs now and nine out of ten fail, uh, you know, and and sit the game out. And then it's a very uh, stringent return to play protocol. So I think things have changed a hell of a lot since Carl Heyman's day. And hearing Scott Barrett just before talking about it, they know the risks and they go through these protocols, and it sounded like Scott Barrett trusts the system, which is all you can do, really. You know the risks, you tell the players, you have a system in place, and then they can decide themselves whether they want to play rugby or not. So I think that's where we sit, Smithy, but still interesting to see where that lawsuit will go, won't it, with all those ex-players, and now Carl Heyman's joined that. Yeah, we just got time to get on the line, and Neville was there from Dunedin. Good morning to you, Neville. Oh, good morning, Ian. Um... Yeah, I thought Scott Barrett, very sensible, um, yeah, common sense, um, you make your choice. However, what do you think of this? I think the rules of the game uh, can have an influence on uh, what happens in a game. And I, I don't know about you, but you probably remember the day when you could not tackle anyone without the ball. You remember that? You, you could only yeah, I know. win and at, at the breakdown. You, you, all you could do was form the ruck and use your, you know, strength to push against the opposition. But now, of course, you've got this stupid clean-out, which I absolutely detest because it, it's awful the way players can come in with their shoulders and they just knock people out of the way when they're, they're defenceless. And I, I firmly believe if they took that right out of the game, it would not only reduce the injury toll, but it would, but mate, the game would be totally different and much better. Neville, that is a brilliant that thought, much? and I, I, appreci- I appreciate you uh, taking the time to call in with that thought. Uh, and it is an issue. You did right. Players been taken out unexpectedly without being around the ball itself uh, because they haven't got a. a at that stage, they haven't got a right or an ability or they can't see it to brace themselves or perhaps get out of the way. Or And that's a very valid point. You see it a lot in a game of rugby. Um, and uh, sometimes it happens quite a long way away from the ball as well, unnoticed. Very good, Neville. Thanks very much for calling in on that uh, particular issue. Uh, all your calls are welcome, folks. Uh, 0800 150 811. It's uh, news time, though, for the moment. Here's Trudy. Smith, 
The 0-2. Left side, Swanson. To first. The Bruins are world champions. At 10.23 Central Time, Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021, the Atlanta Braves have officially overcome all obstacles that were put in front of them. And they are world champions, winning it in six and delivering Atlanta their second championship. Pretty incredible. Every one of those players seems like they contributed. It's really a total team effort. But the heart and soul of the organization is Freddie Freeman, and you can't imagine what he's feeling right now after putting in all those years along with that man. Ryan Snicker, I'm sure he's looking for his wife. Can't find her, and it's just, it's hard to explain, but they did it on so many different levels, and they believed when not a lot of other people did. Well, they'll be partying hard in Atlanta less than 24 hours after winning their first World Series baseball title in 26 years. The Braves shut out the Houston Astros 7-0 in Game 6 to wrap up the Series 4-2. And joining us now live from Atlanta is Braves reporter Joe Patrick from 92.9 The Game. Uh, welcome to the show, Joe. Can you tell us uh, what the scenes are like in Atlanta at the moment and the joy? Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been an amazing journey here throughout this entire month of playoff baseball and obviously culminating with last night's championship. Um, the scenes were unbelievable. I mean, the stadium, even though the game was played on the road in Houston, the, the Braves opened up their stadium for fans to watch on the big screen TV. There were fans uh, picking, you know, on a picnic, uh, you know, on blankets out in the outfield watching the game, and then there were thousands more just outside the stadium watching on other big screens on parties. And it was a total celebration, of course, as you would expect last night after they got that win. It's been 20-some-odd years since this team has won a championship, since 1995. And so um, a lot of fans have been waiting a long time uh, for not just this team, but any team here in this city to win a championship. So uh, there was definitely a relief, and we're all looking forward to a parade coming down uh, the streets of Atlanta uh, tomorrow on Friday. Well, Joe, at the, about the 100-game mark during the season, I think there was about a 44-win, 45-loss record in terms of the split. Uh, you'd lost a, a couple of really key players, the Braves, through, through injury. Um, at, what, at that point, what, were you thinking that they could be World Series champions? No, not at all. <laughs> you know, in fact, a lot of us were thinking, you know, what was going to become of this team? Because... Um, to be quite frank, I mean, even some of the players were saying it, uh, that, you know, I think there was some expectation that the Braves were actually going to trade away some of their players to other teams um, that were, you know, that are quote-unquote, quote unquote, you know, better capable to, to make a championship run, not the Braves. Of course, they did end up, you know, stringing some wins together that made them decide to keep the pieces together and add some at the trade deadline. And, of course, those trade deadline moves that they made uh, were pivotal in, in them having as much success in the playoffs as they did. But, no, I mean, for, for a long time this season, nobody was thinking about this kind of ending to the season, uh, especially after Ronald Acuna Jr., the team's star player, uh, got hurt, you know, was out for the year. Uh, what was that on about July 31st or so, something uh, around that time, I want to say? Um, 
that that seemed to be kind of the nail in the coffin for this team. But you got to give the players credit for not dropping their heads. You know, just keep on grinding. And of course, they got the reinforcements that they did at the trade deadline, and uh, the rest is history, right? It is. Uh, the rest is history, and it's a really pleasant history for you guys as well. And let's talk about that uh, trade because uh, your GM, Alex uh, Anthopoulos, he had to make some decisions. Uh, he brought in four veterans, which sometimes can go for you, sometimes you can go against you, but he, he picked up Duval, Peterson, Rosario, and Salia. And, and Salia, obviously, uh, absolutely outstanding, ending up being the MVP uh, as well. So uh, he did well, the GM. He did very well. I've been calling him King Midas because it's like everything he touched at that trade deadline turned to gold for him, especially in this playoff run. You had Jorge Soler, who wins the MVP of the World Series. You had Eddie Rosario, who he picked up, who was the MVP of the National League Championship Series in the matchup before the World Series against the Dodgers. And then he also picked up Jack Peterson, who was one of the pivotal players in the series against the Brewers. So in every single round of this playoffs, you know, at least one of the players that he picked up in that trade that that trade deadline, that trade window, uh, you know, was a pivotal part of this team. And it was really interesting when those trades were made because he picked up four outfielders when there's only three outfield positions. So it almost felt at the time like it was um, maybe a little bit not unnecessary, but just like how were all these pieces actually going to fit and play well together? But you know, this team made it work. They they needed all four of those guys because you had some guys like Jorge Soler who went down with COVID at times. You were able to better mix and match players to get them better matchups against pitchers and other instances. So all four of these outfielders were absolutely crucial to the team's success, and you just can't say enough about the job that Alex Anthopoulos, the general manager, did in identifying the types of players that could help this team when they needed it uh, and obviously, he was proven correct with the way they were able to perform once they came to Atlanta. There's so much uh, romance about this, and there often is with baseball because of the histories of the particular franchises or, or clubs as such. Um, this is a year where one of the, the Braves, uh, Atlanta's most uh, famous, famous uh, players, and, and Hank Aaron, passed away at the age of 86. Uh, probably one of the most famous baseball names of all time, and is almost a bit of romance about this being the year that they got it right. No doubt. No doubt about that. The, the, you know, Hank Aaron is uh, obviously a, a huge um, figure within this organization, even, even in death. I mean, maybe even more so, honestly, for as tragic as it is that he, he passed away this year. Um, you know, his, just the presence, his legacy that he left here in this city uh, for all kinds of different reasons, obviously sporting reasons, but also, you know, social and cultural reasons for, um, you know, the things that he did as a black American here in the South, the Southern United States was, uh, was absolutely, you know, in, in, incredible, monu monumental. And one of the other, you know, really interesting aspects of this Braves team as it relates to, to Hank Aaron is that the Braves manager, Brian Snicker, had a very close relationship with Hank Aaron. You know, they, they, um, you know, coached together. Uh, they were they were in the organization together in the minors. You know, they just had a very close relationship, working relationship on the field. And so it's very interesting to have the manager of this current team who's managing, you know, 25-year-old kids <laughs> for the most part 
um, to have him be a touch point, a reference point to that past, to that historical significant past uh, in this organization. And, uh, of course, the Braves were able to um, honor Hank Aaron's legacy before one of the games. And it was uh, a real tearjerker, to be perfectly honest. Brian Snicker got to hug Hank Aaron's wife, and you know, he just said he got to tell her how much uh, he missed Hank, and he was tearing up in the press conference telling us that story. So, um, yeah, clearly a huge figure, and I'm sure that you know he was smiling in heaven or wherever he was uh, looking down and watching this uh, Braves World Championship win last night. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, it's, it's very, very special. Uh, uh, Joe Patrick, uh, there was also a bit of romance, romance about the last out as well because uh, the last point of contact was Freddie Freeman, of course, on first base. Uh, and he's, uh, he's a bit of a lifer for the Braves. You, you talk about players trading and coming and going left, right and centre, but he is a Brave through and through. Uh, and also Chipper Jones is back at the club as well. So special for those two guys in particular. No doubt about it. Yeah, Freddie Freeman, uh, you, you, you feel, uh, you can't help but just feel so happy for him as a Braves fan. I think that he, in particular, among all these Braves players that, you know, obviously fans love all of them, but, you know, there's something different about Freddie Freeman because of the duration of his time in Atlanta, the fact that he's been through a real down period where this team really kind of, you know, had to rebuild itself from the ground up, uh, you know, a matter of a handful of years ago. And there were several years where it was not fun. And, you know, these Braves fans um, have a a real special relationship with Freddie Freeman because he has been through all of that. He, He experienced, you know, when he came in as a rookie, the team was actually pretty good. But then, obviously, things kind of just didn't work out, and they had to rebuild. And he was kind of the chosen one that was the, that the Braves organization decided was going to stick around um, and be a cornerstone of kind of the, the current iteration of this ball club. And so I think that everybody just has the utmost respect for a guy like Freddie Freeman. Um, and, you know, again, kind of talking about similar to you know, what I was talking about with Brian Snicker and Hank Aaron just a second ago, mm. Freddie Freeman's the guy who played with Chipper Jones. You know, the, he's probably the only player on this team who was a teammate of Chipper's who obviously is, also has a very special relationship as a member of the team who last won, uh, the, won the team's previous World Series back in 1995. So, uh, yeah, a lot of special connections for Braves fans with those two guys for sure. Oh, Joe, thank you very much for your time this morning, folks. This has been Joe Patrick from 92.9 The Game, dedicated to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Joe, I imagine uh, now that the season's over, you're going to have maybe a a little bit of a break. Hopefully you'll have a chance to bask in the glory yourself. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just trying to catch up on some sleep right now, and then, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. But we're definitely all basking in the glory of this thing. It's always fun to watch your team win a championship. Okay, Joe, hey, thanks very much for your time this morning and uh, enlightening us on a couple of those issues. It's been great. And uh, enjoy, really enjoy. You just never know when the next one might pop up. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, Joe Patrick there, folks, uh, all the way from Norcross, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So fantastic uh, for those fans there. And uh, if you are watching the coverage yesterday, very, very special. That they went away from home. They blew a 4-0 lead in uh, the previous game, and they must have been very nervous even when they got up to 3-0 in the third innings that it might happen again, particularly on the road. But no, they held on tight, they, uh, and they completely and utterly 
outplayed them, uh, the Houston Astros, yesterday at home. They deserve to be uh, the world champions. And even with a pitcher, Charlie Morton, we never got to talk about Charlie Morton uh, getting outs with a broken leg. Now, that is a story. Uh, 9.44 here on SENZ. Voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, thanks for your feedback this morning too, folks. Some uh, some really interesting texts uh, and meaningful texts have come in as well. Hi, guys. Carl Heyman's announcement is probably just the tip of the iceberg. Sadly, long-term effects of head trauma from sport is affecting many participants from the 60s and 70s now. Uh, it sure is bloody hard to watch someone you're close to deteriorate so rapidly from damage done fearlessly and enthusiastically playing long-term a sport that they love with little or no support or any financial career benefits. Unfortunately, only time will tell if the current protocols will reverse the trend. All current career players will be made well aware of the risk, the reward situation, something their amateur predecessors didn't have. Uh, thanks very much uh, for your thoughts there, Mike. Appreciate them. Uh, from Craig, hi, Smithy. Uh, like most things, the head knock concussion injury is about balance. Sure, it's a choice to play rugby or drive race cars or ride horses, but the governing bodies for each sport have a responsibility to do what they can to ensure the safety of the sports people involved. As you said, cricket introduced helmets years ago. Unfortunately, this measure didn't prevent the tragedy of Phil Hughes. Sometimes safety measures just aren't enough. Each sport needs to keep assessing whether they're doing all they can while the sports people have to assess the risk and make the choice. It's a balance between both and talk about balance. Uh, there's a lot of balance in what you say uh, in that particular one there. Uh, thank you, Craig. Hi, Smithy. Played against Carl back in the day at MPC level. So I know what it's like back then. It was a different world to now, and there were expectations to play, but no one knew different. And you still made the choice, not that I wish this upon Carl. I've seen the worst of concussion with some mates with depression, alcoholism, and suicide. And it is as serious as they say. And I was far from perfect with concussion and playing. I also have two boys playing top-level school rugby and would never let them do what we did. But I go back to the time when no one knew anything different and it was our choice. So uh, very, very reflective there and I appreciate the, those three texts. Uh, it is uh, it's like a, a, a no-win situation. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, it's a no-win situation. Um, I'm not sure anyone feels a lot better from any sort of physical contact from time to time, to be honest. It's something that you just have to endure. Um, the good news, I suppose, when you get to the highest level is at least you're getting financial reward now and some sort of help along the way and uh, your close contact with the people that, that can perhaps help you with those long-term injuries. Um, but then again, uh, at a lower level, you're not. And that's where you, perhaps the choice has to be made. I don't know if there's uh, one clear answer. Uh, if there is, no one's found it yet. 9.52 here on SENZ. When we come back, uh, we'll have uh, your choice, I guess, in a corny sort of way. Uh, whether you want to support my multi, you uh, might be crazy if you did that. We're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, I started the Mouldy yesterday with the Houston Astros to beat the Atlanta Braves. On the evidence of that last interview that we did, uh, you know where that one went. Down the gurgler, uh, they were beaten. Soundly beaten. 7-0 in Game 6. Lost the World Series. Uh, so today, 
Uh, we're going to uh, dominated by basketball today. Portland Trailblazers to beat Cleveland Cavs at a buck forty-six. The Celtics, uh, Boston Celtics, to beat uh, the Orlando Magic at a dollar thirty-four, and uh, the Brooklyn Nets to beat uh, the Atlanta Hawks at one dollar forty-nine. And I throw in just for sixteen cents on the dollar Australia to beat Bangladesh in the Cricket T20 World Cup tonight. It'll be sort of a happy, sad thing that if uh, if they lost to Bangladesh and it cost you the multi, I'd be very sad. But if they lost to Bangladesh, I'd be pretty happy. Uh, so it's it's a happy, sad sort of uh, multi that one today. So that, the return for that yeah, uh, three dollars thirty eight. Uh, after the break, we're going to catch up with uh, two meter Peter Peter Fulton, of course, um, fantastic uh, coach these days of uh, the Canterbury cricket team. He's been around the Black Caps as well. Uh, he knows a lot of the players. Uh, there's been a lot of runs scored at this stage of uh, the Plunkett Shield. Normally, it's a bowler-dominated time of the year. So uh, can he put a finger on that as well? Uh, the form of Tom Latham, uh, Henry Nichols, he's got an eye on them. Of course, uh, the Black Caps will be naming their test squad to tour India today, I believe. We might have news of that on uh, a show uh, a little bit later on. Maybe tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow. We'll have news on that tomorrow. What do we know about it? 9.59 coming up 10 o'clock on Kiwi for Sport. Two minutes past 10 here on SENZ Mornings and uh, Cricket Now and defending Plunkett Shield champions Canterbury have made a, a pretty strong start to the season. Mopped up Wellington yesterday at the Basin Reserve by a massive 294-run margin. Uh, to go to the top of the table after two games. So uh, joining us now is their, their coach, former Black Caps uh, opening batsman, of course, uh, Peter Fulton. A hundred and each innings of a test match at uh, Eden Park. Uh, uh, Peter, congratulations uh, on the win yesterday. Uh, season started off uh, pretty well for your boys. Yeah, thanks. It has. Um, yeah, we had a, we had a sort of a, a tough draw in the first round against Central Districts where we had to, to fight pretty hard on the last day to um, to not lose the game. So really happy with how we bounced back. Um, we were you know, we were 56 for five, I think, in the first innings after getting put in on a pretty green wicket. So yeah, to win to win the game by close to 300 runs in the end. Um, yeah, I guess credit to a lot of skill and some some hard work from the, you know from the guys. And interestingly enough, even though sides have been under pressure at times, and, and you would expect that at this time of the year, there's been, I think, seven or eight hundreds already in the Plunkett Shield. And this is normally, and you know better than most, this is normally a time of the year where the bowlers have their say, isn't it? Yeah, well, they certainly, they certainly have in, in recent years. Um, I think I think it's probably fair to say that there's been a little bit of a directive come down from New Zealand cricket around making the, the pitches a little... Um, a little bit more batsman friendly early on in the game, anyway, um, which is which has probably contributed to that. Is you know the Central Districts Otago game down the Dunedin was obviously on a pretty flat wicket, so yeah, no, there was still plenty of plenty of, um, plenty of assistance for the bowlers at the base and reserve though it was a you know, pace and bounce. Um, mm. So so yeah, like I said, it was, a, it was a good, pretty good even contest throughout the game for batting ball. Let's uh, look at uh, the form of uh, two or three of your high-profile players. Of course, there's uh, a Black Cap side test squad named to go uh, to India. I believe it's tomorrow morning now that uh, it'll come out. Uh, so Matt Henry, four second innings wickets. Uh, he got wickets against uh, the Stags early on as well. So uh, Matt Henry seems to be in pretty good nick. Yeah, yeah, he was outstanding actually. And he, um, 
you know, he probably on another day, in another game, he, you know, he might have had you know nine or ten for the match. I think the way he bowled. So, so yeah, he just did what he did, did what he does, and that's put the ball in good areas. And um, you know, he's obviously he's probably just a little bit unfortunate, probably at the moment in New Zealand cricket with the, the, the depth that we have and the quality of some of the some of the other pace bowlers around. But he but he doesn't get as many opportunities in red ball cricket. So he was, but he was, yeah, like I said, he was outstanding. Uh, the amazing thing about Matt Henry for me is you wouldn't know that though if you look at him. Uh, he's always got a, a pretty good disposition about him. Uh, I don't know what it's like behind the scenes, but outwardly, I mean, he just looks like he's happy to be there and do his bit when he when he gets the opportunity, and and more often than not, it, it comes off. So uh, he, he's a, I would imagine pretty special sort of guy to have around as a as a kind of a fringe player. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, he, he you know he just gets his opportunities. Um, in red ball cricket every now and again, but as we saw in England in that test series before the, the test championship final, um, you know, in the second test there, he was a he was a handful um, with the Duke ball, and um, yeah, like I said, he's, he just does his job for us, and he's always outstanding for us in every play. He's he's a real, I guess, senior player in the team there, and, and sort of I guess helps you know helps sort of uh, mentor the, the younger bowlers. So can't can't say a bad mm. word about him, and um, like I said. Every time he gets an opportunity for New Zealand, I'm just really, really pleased for him. Uh, speaking of senior players, uh, good runs for Tom Latham, I think 200s already, uh, and for Henry Nichols as well. So um, the, the fact that they're back here playing, uh, I think, is, is paying dividends. Yeah, they were both outstanding. Um, like I say, the, the wicket, there was plenty in it, um, you know, certainly for the first two days, and, and they just showed their class, really. They, they showed, I guess, what you'd expect from... Test players coming into domestic cricket, and that's that you know they dominate. Um, you know, and, and it's a great lesson for some of our younger players to see the way they went about it. That on a wicket that, like I said, had some assistance, had some green grass on it. Um, but you know, they, they've, they've experienced that a lot for New Zealand, and um, yeah, they were outstanding. And like I said, hopefully, even though conditions will be pretty, uh, pretty, pretty different when they go over to India, um, like I said, they've set themselves up for you know hopefully for a, for a good series. Peter, I'm not sure that you've been able to watch too much uh, of uh, the Black Caps. It's at a very awkward time, particularly when you're involved in a, in a current match situation as it is. But you might have seen a, a little bit of it. What have, what have you made for, of, of the Black Caps' um, performance thus far in this T20 World Cup? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, like a lot of people, I think after the first game against Pakistan, um, you know, you probably, probably feared for the worst going into that game against India, which was... You know, looking like it was going to be do or die. So, but they played outstanding in that game, and, and that you know I think would have given them a lot of confidence now that um, you know unless unless they get tripped up, you know, slip on a banana skin against Afghanistan, you'd have to think they'll be in the semi-finals, and then it then it can come down to you know to on the day. Um, you know, if a couple of players have a have a have an outstanding game, then then anything can happen. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. The, the pitch has seen um, they seem a little bit mixed. Some of them seem really good, and it's quite a high-scoring game, and and others, you know, assist the bowlers, and it's a bit more of a, you know, more of a slog. So, um, yeah, I think that'll that'll probably, you know, that'll probably be the deciding factor. I think if, it, if the Black Caps make it to the semi-finals, if you if you have a couple of guys have a good day and you you know, get lucky with the toss, then you know there's no reason why they can't go all the way. Well, you you managed to attract uh, Daryl Mitchell down to to play for Canterbury. <clears throat> which for you, I imagine, was a, a fantastic get uh, in the end. Uh, what we're seeing now is him actually opening the batting when a lot of people thought it would be a, a Guptal Conway type 
uh, combination, which would be a given. But uh, Daryl Mitchell's done plenty in those warm-up games and uh, a couple of useful performances already in the competition. Tell us, tell us a, w- a wee bit about Daryl Mitchell and, and the new role that he's got or, and where you would think he'd be most useful in that side. Well, it's an interesting one. I mean, he, he, I guess the last few years for Northern Districts in T20 cricket, he's mainly batted sort of five and six. And um, I think that was probably, you know, although he moved down to Christchurch largely for, for family reasons, um, his, his wife's from down here. But I think he, I think he sort of really rushed the opportunity to come down here and, you know, have an opportunity to bat a little bit higher in the order. Um, to bowl more overs, and he was outstanding for us last year in the T20 competition, uh, especially once he moved up to batting at three. So, yeah, he's a he's a really clean striker of the ball, and probably <clears throat> probably his best attribute um, that he's already showed so far in international cricket is he's he's just a really confident guy. He, he backs himself, and you know he wouldn't have been overawed by all of a sudden being thrown up to the top of the order. He would have looked at it as a real opportunity to, I guess, to go out and show people what he can do. So. Um, yeah, it's a brave call by the selectors. Like I said, I don't think a lot of people, um, you know, saw it coming. Um, but so far, you know, so far in the tournament, you know, it's, it's worked. And um, as I say, if he can, if he can come off, you know, once or twice in the next um, three or four games, then he's going to, you know, give mm. New Zealand a good chance of having some success. Having a little bit of a look at Conway as well, I suppose you have, particularly at a domestic level. Um, so, so going forward, you'd stay with you'd, your preference would be to stay with Mitchell and use Conway at say four. Um, well, I mean, I, to be honest, probably before before the tournament started, I probably would have said that you know I would have opened with Conway um, just to give him the opportunity to face more balls. But yeah, I can't mm. I can't see them making too many changes now. And, you know, Daryl's Daryl's got some runs. Um, you know, and they I know this, you know they, they they played the same team overnight against Scotland, so. Yeah, you sort of you sort of think they'll probably stick with that same team now, um, and, and but you know that that'll be the that'll that could well be the deciding factor in some of those, you know, in some of those. Um, you know, if they make a semi-final, for example, or a final, it's, you know, through the middle, the likes of Kane Williamson and Devon Conway, um, you know, are going to have a, a, a really important job to play against the spinners through the middle. What what danger do you see uh, Afghanistan having? You, you say banana skin, and it's a frequently used. Term, what is the danger about them? Is it their spinners, or is it is it their unpredictability? How, how do you perceive that danger? Oh, I think it's, it's probably a little bit of both. Maybe I think of their batting lineup seems to be um, you know pretty hit or miss. They they they, they like to swing hard and <coughs> swing hard and swing for the fences, um, you know. And if it and if it comes off, if they win the toss and and they can post a score. You know, and the pitches are stiff and spin. Then you know, with the likes of Rashid Khan and Majid, um, the they've got they've got some world class you know spinners who have played a lot of T20 cricket. So yeah, that would be the that would be the danger. And I'm pretty sure um, I'm pretty sure the Black Caps will be hoping that the pitch when they play Afghanistan has you know probably got a little bit of pace and bounce in it. Um, because if it does, then you know I think they won't have too many difficulties there. But yeah, if, it, if it's a if it's a you know slow dusty wicket that spins. Um, then, mm. then, yeah, it might get a little bit nervous. Pete, we're going through a good era of uh, New Zealand cricket. You know, we're, we're, we're doing pretty well in all three disciplines of the game and uh, especially in test cricket. Uh, you're in a great position to, uh, to assess where, where we might be in our, uh, in our next stanza of the game. You know, when, when some of these players start get towards the end and, and we start to rebuild with these guys that are like 20, 22, 23 now, uh, are we in good heart? <laughs> 
you're in a good position to, to travel around and see. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, there's obviously a big difference between, you know, like like you say, if in three or four years' time, if there's no Taylor, if there's no Salvi, if there's no Bolt, no Wagner, um, then then obviously, you know, if there's no BJ, BJ Watling now, that, that, that's obviously going to leave a big hole. Um, but there's certainly a big challenge for some guys to come and step up. I think you've already seen that a little bit. Um, the likes of, um, you know, Rach and Ravindra, uh, Finn Allen when he's come in and played, um, there, there, there is a lot of talent in New Zealand cricket, um, and a lot of those a lot of those players in the last few years, Kyle Jameson have come through, Devin Conway, Daryl Mitchell have come through the, I guess, domestic cricket, and then and then have played New Zealand A cricket. So, yeah, I think there's there's, there's no doubt the talent's there, um, but like I say, there's there's still a there's still going to be a big challenge to to try and match the you know the performances of some of those guys that I've mentioned before because. Um, you know, they're, they're going to go down as, as you know, some of the greats of you know, in New Zealand cricket history, I think. And, and in Canterbury cricket, you're going to have to live without uh, two or three of your guys very shortly uh, because of this tour of, of India. Uh, that'll be a nice uh, tip, uh, test of your depth, but uh, it's going pretty well down there. Your production line, not too bad? Yeah, no, no, the production line's good. We're going to, I think we're probably going to have, in the next year or two, we're going to have some, some really tough decisions to make, um, you know, around... Some of the young players, sort of, that are sort of 18, 19, 20, who are coming through, and, and while they're probably not quite ready for first class level yet, um, they will be in another couple of years. So, yeah, that, that's a, that's a, I guess, a bit of a dilemma because you've got to try and you can't probably keep all those players, um, but we've got to we've got to try and I guess choose or pick the ones that we think are going to be the best and, and try and hang on to them. So, yeah, like I said, Tommy and um, Tommy and Henry will be away and. That'll, that'll give some opportunities for some other guys, but that's, um, yeah, that's, that's I guess, is the beauty of domestic cricket. There's an op- opportunity for someone else to step in, and we go back up in round three and play Wellington again at the Basin Reserve starting on Sunday. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, get a, we'll get a good indication, I guess, of you know, the, you know, the, the difference between what international players can do at domestic level and, and what the rest of the guys can do. Hey Pete, thanks. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you, and, and I appreciate uh, your input this morning on on a number of cricketing matters. Congratulations uh, on being top of the table after two games, and uh, all the best for the rest of the season, eh? Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot, mate. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. It's Peter Fulton there, uh, folks, uh, doing a great job with Canterbury. Um, he's been around New Zealand cricket scene for a long, long time, and he's one of those uh, salt of the earth type guys that <coughs> you've got to have in the game, particularly for these young guys coming through. So. Uh, Canterbury are in good shape with their leadership and they have been for a long, long time. We had a text in uh, Morning Smithy. How about Scotland probably 17 runs short, short, run short of securing a full tour of India in the near future? Hmm, interesting. Uh, I thought Scotland were, were pretty good, actually. Uh, I, I thought uh, they played well. Uh, you know, and I, I thought the same too about Namibia chasing down against um, Pakistan. Never perhaps going to get there, but enough of a, of a gutsy performance to show that uh, you know, in the past we've called these size minnows, you know, the, the minnows of, of the game. And every now and then they <coughs> they pull off an am- amazing victory and we all look at each other sideways and say, did that really happen? How could that possibly happen? Well, I think the gap's closing, to be honest. Uh, and these tournaments uh, are emphasising that. And what it says to me is that uh, Scotland will never play a test match. Uh, not in my lifetime anyway, uh, and neither they should. They, uh, they really shouldn't be playing test matches against uh, full... Uh, fully ranked nations because it's only one way that's going to end. And and, and to be honest, 
I, I don't think a lot of the sides should be. And I read an article not that long ago where it might have been Michael Vaughan or someone had said something about the future of Test cricket is going to be down to about four or five teams. And we weren't one of them. Uh, as the World Test Championship champions, uh, we weren't even considered to be one of them. I, I reckon six or seven uh, nations will probably end up playing Test cricket. Uh, and uh, I'm not even sure the West Indies will part of, be part of that with their proud heritage in the game because if you look at their players, they are chasing the white ball and the money attached to it. So I think this is a great tournament, and it shows to me that there is depth, uh, and perhaps this is the area that a lot of those sides should focus on really seriously and build their players purpose-built to play games over 20 overs, and then the gap will close even, and, uh, even closer. Scotland weren't too bad. Scotland weren't too bad. We were okay. We did what we had to do. We got the two points, but we weren't, we weren't the boss the whole time. Uh, and that was a little bit of a concern for me. That might be for the panel too. We've got uh, a couple of great blokes coming up very shortly to discuss a few um, matters, uh, national and international. Uh, that's coming up uh, very shortly. It's 10.18 here. Sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, to me, yeah. Ollie Ritchie and uh, Ross Carl join us this morning. Um, a number of interesting issues to talk about. Uh, first of all, Ollie, can I, I come to you on the, the Carl Heyman issue, which is an extremely sad one, uh, of course. Uh, 41 years of age and early onset dementia, which uh, you don't wish on anyone of any age. But uh, a high-profile rugby player, uh, and all of a sudden uh, we, we've come up with this uh, concussion issue again in rugby. What have, what have you made of the last... 24 hours of developments there. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Oh, as you said, incredibly sad news. Um, you know, a legend of New Zealand rugby gave so much to the Highlanders and uh, to the Black Jersey whenever he, whenever he wore it as well. Um, yeah, it's incredibly sad. And I suppose the fear is that, um, you know, he won't be the last one that we see uh, get early onset dementia. Um, you know, we've seen other players have to, to end their careers early um, because of head knocks, guys like James Broadhurst, you know, the Aki all, um, all suffered from, from the same thing. And so you really you really do fear that, um, you know, Carl Heyman's case may not be the last one that we see. Uh, just incredibly sad for, for Carl and, and his family. Uh, Ross, uh, we, we do a lot of sport uh, programs, uh, magazine-type shows, in-depth shows, uh, about rugby um, and uh, all the things surrounding the ga- surrounding the game um, uh, and Sky, do, have we have we done much on on this issue, or is it one that you you got to tread really lightly on, or should it be made more public? Well, I think the hard part with this issue is that no one wants to be the face of concussion. You know, the guys, not in New Zealand, from what I'm aware of, from the people I've spoken to who've suffered from it. There aren't many New Zealand players who, from the past, who are struggling with not remembering games from the 80s or 90s or, or recent players who have gone into work in rugby but had to end their career early. They don't want to be the face of the issue. They don't want to be the person who gets the phone call every time there's a concussion story and here comes the concussion guy, you know, um, which, which makes it difficult to, to get a lot of in-depth stuff um, from a lot of players on, on what it really means for the game. But it's definitely a topic that we need to cover and get into at some point. I think the best part of it is that World Rugby is doing something about it. Um, and they are already doing something about it. I suppose the hard part is, you know, you've got to make sure that the coaches 
are on board around the globe and don't continue to push players into situations that you know they shouldn't be in but are wanting to be in for their team for themselves you know the idea of carry on do it for the team we celebrate players you know <laughs> right back through Buck Shelford playing with a torn scrotum to Richie McCaw playing with a broken mm. foot you know to players playing on with head knocks we celebrate that as a feat of greatness we celebrate that as something more than the stupidity of playing on a broken foot or, you know, and the long-term damage that could cause or, or the same yeah. with your head. So I think there needs to be a general change of mindset from within rugby culture, from when the top echelons where players are committed to themselves and the team and that comes first above their long-term body and wellness. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a really good point, actually. Um, and it looks like there's going to be, Ollie, a, a class uh, action by a number of players. I think it's upwards of 150 players already, high-profile players, are trying to do something about this and make someone accountable. Is there a villain here? Is there a villain or a circumstances part of it? I mean, can you point the finger at any era of rugby and their administrators and say, you are to blame for this? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, you know, it sounds like... They might have a, have a have a decent case of will in, in fact, you know, have evidence that that they sat on. Um, I think the important thing is is rather than looking back, is is kind of looking forward and ensuring that uh, teams and you know unions and yeah, world rugby uh, can prevent uh, players in the future coming up against this. And you know what Roscoe was talking about there is absolutely relevant, guys who do get a head knock, but do it for the team and, and play on. You know, the, the onus there has to be on, a, obviously, probably on the player, but maybe more on, on the team doctor, you know, to ensure that these guys aren't playing on and aren't doing something stupid. Of course, I, I've been talking to a few specialists um, about this who deal with, with rugby players and, and, and head knocks and, and concussion, and they want more of a, a seat at the table. They want to be more involved with this stuff because... You know, like, like kind of Ross was alluding to there, that the team doctors and the managers and the coaches and the players they are all involved in the same team and they all want the best thing for their team and, and maybe that they put that eye patch on and think actually he's good to go when maybe he's not and, and these specialists want to have almost a final say in that so that they can best treat these guys and ensure that they're not going back to play or they're not returning to training and they're simply not up to it. Um, you know, it's easy to point the finger at World Rugby for, for blitz in, in the past and for not um, adequately protecting these guys. I think it's just important, uh, just as important to, to look to the future and, and look at what they can do, what World Rugby can do, what teams can do, what unions can do to ensure that we don't see another Carl Heyman who at 41 has early onset dementia. And yep. on top of no, that, I, in, I, um, off the back of Ollie's comments, it's not just about these players. I was sitting in front of the TV with my wife last night watching that story, and she turned to me and said, that's why our son's not playing rugby. So it, it's more yeah. than just protecting these players. It's protecting the future of the sport. You know, she is, she is right. adamant he's going to play football, and that's it. And, you know, I come from a rugby family. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, when families like that are going to make that kind of change, then the game's going to be in trouble. Yeah, look, I, 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 I've thought about this, uh, you know, and for quite some time actually. I mean, as you know, uh, fellas, I, I stand on the sideline, I sit on the sideline, and and watch these guys get these tests. I, I've seen doctors on the the screens that are provided with them, 
and for them look at play-by-play analysis a lot more closely than you would imagine sitting at home. Uh, they are keeping uh, one or two, sometimes three doctors crowded around a screen looking at points of contact at collision areas time after time after time, not for the sake of discipline, uh, not for the sake of awarding penalties, but just looking at, uh, you know, for signs of the outcome. Uh, so <coughs> it is... It is being looked at very, very closely, um, but at the moment, it just seems with these cases coming up uh, that uh, that it's a, it's a against uh, authority at the moment. Uh, hey, please stay with us. Uh, another couple of rugby issues to talk about, uh, and some cricket, some good news cricket. Uh, how about that, Martin Gupta? 11, uh, 10.30 here on SENZ uh, News Time with Trudy. The panel. Yeah. Part two of the panel, we've got Ollie Ritchie and uh, Ross Carl with us. Uh, Ross, let's look at some good news in rugby. Um, uh, we know now uh, Super Rugby or Picky is very, very close because they've finalised the squads as well. So that's good news, and I guess a lot more focus on Sky TV in terms of getting in-depth on this new competition. That's right, and we're trying very hard to get in. The, of course, access from the, the female players is superb. They're so savvy to the media. We're running an all-access series at the moment. We've got uh, Chelsea Alley on Thursday where we spend half an hour with her inside the uh, Waikato camp and then the same with Les Elder, um, the Blackburns captain within the Bay of Plenty camp. So we're going to try to commit as much as possible um, and, and, and work these things side by side where the women's and the rugby and the men's rugby both get kind of equal opportunities, I suppose, on our screen. So, you know, we're seeing some superb play um, this year during the SPC and we saw another really good final on uh, a couple of weeks ago, so hopefully we'll get more of it. And these squads, Smithy, there are some stacked teams in there, especially the Chiefs in the back line. <laughs> Kelly Brady, <laughs> Hazel Tubix, Chelsea Alley, like that back line is like the Hurricanes back line of the early 2000s, and if you compare it to the women's game. And Ollie, I see some Australian rugby players getting in on the act as well. Yeah, and, a, and a, a, why wouldn't they? You know, a great opportunity for um, a couple of those Wallaroos to come over and uh, hit the beautiful South Island, paradise, uh, paradise in New Zealand. Um, you know, a, a great chance for them. I, I feel agree with exactly what Roscoe was saying. Yeah, that Chiefs, that Chiefs team is absolutely stacked. It's quite unfair. It's just a Blackburns All Stars, isn't it? Really. Um, you know, Alan Bunting certainly caught a, a few favours from um, from his sevens team. That is going to be uh, a really exciting team to watch, uh, for sure. But I think there's some great depth across the board, and it just it's so important at the moment, um, you know, that this competition gets up and running, you know, in the absence of any international rugby, but really that gap, um, you know, between the FPC and the international game has just been, been too big. So with the Home World Cup, you know, now a year away, uh, home World Cup defence for the Black Ferns. This uh, is a really important competition. I think we're going to see some really exciting rugby and some players uh, put themselves in the frame for selection for that World Cup spot. Well, Ross Carla, of course, uh, you uh, employ Laura McGoldrick to uh, do quite a lot of cricket work <laughs> for us at the moment. She's, at the moment, she's the hostess of uh, the T20 coverage uh, for the World Cup, and this morning she did it with a big smile on her face because... Hubby came through, good old Guppy, uh, and without Guppy, we could be talking about some other result this morning. Well, that's for sure. And isn't that the way with 2020 cricket? It's one person can take the whole game because it's such a short format. But I wonder whether Martin Guptill gets the respect that he deserves in the shorter forms of the game. He, he second most runs in T20I ever, 3,000 of them. 
you know, a couple of centuries, uh, most sixes ever. He's, he's a guy who has a prolific record in short-form cricket, and I just don't know whether he gets enough credit, Smithy. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. And one of the reasons why, uh, and I, I guess what we're really talking about too, Ross, is the fact that the IPL teams don't want to, uh, they don't want to bar of him, it seems. And of course, he's missing out on the on the big paydays because of that. But he plugs on, and, and I think it's important he does well in these conditions, which uh, innings like this morning uh, have to happen. Uh, but they have to happen against the big guns as well. Uh, it's all very well scoring 90 odd against Scotland, but if he gets 90 against Pakistan or India or Australia in a playoff match, hello, hello, you know, then the bells start ringing. Uh, Ollie, uh, he, he, he is overlooked a lot, Guppy. We don't, I don't think we overlook him in, in this country, to be fair. Um, but uh, the Black Caps, a couple of disturbing signs for me this morning, particularly um, uh, Milne again uh, getting pumped uh, and uh, also East Sodi going for 50. Uh, do you, are you a little bit worried, a little bit concerned after that? A little bit, yeah, a little bit. Um, thank God for the guppy, uh, I suppose, is all we can say. And it wasn't too long ago that everyone was falling to be replaced by Finn Allen. Um, so it's great to see him uh, perform and just show everyone what a world-class player uh, he is. Yeah, look, uh, a little nervous, to be honest, Smitty. Uh, you know, I wonder if a performance like that, when we do come up against, um, you know, some of those bigger teams, if we do make it to the semi-finals, which you know, hopefully we do, we just need to... Yeah, just lower those, that, that run rate that they seem to come, come out with. You know, Scotland seemed to be doing it pretty easy at times there, didn't they? And it showed that they got that close um, to our score. I, I'd like to have thought that the Black Caps could have put that to bed uh, a lot more comfortably in saying that, that they got the job done. And I suppose that's all that matters. I, I do worry looking ahead to Afghanistan, which I feel could be a bit of a, a banana skin team for, for the Black Caps as they try and, and get through to the, the semi final stage. So, it's great for Gup and, and to have him back in the runs big time is awesome, but it would be good, you're right, Smithy, if, if everyone began contributing a little bit more because you get the feeling that a performance like that, even against uh, Afghanistan, who we would be expected to beat, could just turn into a bit of a banana game. Uh, Ollie, I'll just go back uh, to rugby if we can, just uh, almost to finish off here this morning. and. Okay, well, USA, <coughs> excuse me, USA, then Wales, but below strength Wales. And now Italy, uh, I'll be honest with you, I can't wait for Ireland and France. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like that, isn't it, uh, Smithy? And it was always sort of going to be the way when we looked ahead. You know, we had um, Australia and the Pumas, and then the next big one was, was South Africa, and that absolutely uh, delivered. And it, it always felt like there was this kind of three-week cycle of, of the USA, a, a below-par Wales, who was hung in there for a little bit, but obviously the floodgates opened eventually, and now Italy, who... Um, you wouldn't expect the All Blacks to have too much trouble accounting for. The, the big ones are the final ones that Ireland and, and I think France and, and France will be a massive test um, for Ian Fosser and the All Blacks. A good chance this weekend to uh, you know, get another test under a few players' belts, another chance to get Dan Coles and Sam Kane back out there and just um, their return uh, to, to the All Blacks and also rest Brodie Retallick, who's nursing a bit of a shoulder. So there are some positives there, but absolutely right. The big two are Ireland and France, and the way in which the All Blacks step up and, and try and account for those two teams, particularly France, I think, uh, will be very interesting. Is that the way you see it, Ross? Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, Italy is... I think they've the, the least points they've conceded in the last year, something like 36 against the top-tier nation... 
it's really strange how they haven't progressed. And it just goes to show that, you know, what have they been in the Six Nations for 20-odd years now? Just playing top-level teams isn't enough to get you up to strength. You've got to have some more below it. They're up to their third coach in four years. So uh, the fact that I haven't even bothered reading the team, you know, <laughs> the Italian team, they're just... They're just not really up to much. You know, why would you bother? The USA was more interesting just because it was a little bit different. Um, but, yeah, certainly Ireland and France. And looking forward to seeing how they approach those two games, whether we'll finally discover the top 23 this year because Richie Moonga has not been available for vast periods. Of course, Aaron Smith's not there, but, you know, we'll leave that to the side. You know, who will play at 10? Who will play at 15? Um, does mm. the Havili and Helena Brown midfield stay intact or could Quintu Pia force his way in against a top level side because he might be able to get over the game line a little bit better um, and you know with the rush defence and things like that it'll be really interesting in those last two tests to see whether Ian Foster takes a top team approach or continues kind of a horses for courses experimental approach because time's running out before the World Cup they've got to start figuring mm. this out now yeah, you did right, and we don't know with the world the way it is how many uh, proposed fixtures will actually take place. So you're absolutely right there, uh, Ross. Thank you very much, uh, to, uh, mate, for your input this morning, and to you, to Ollie, as always. Uh, great stuff on a, a number of subjects there. We'll have uh, another panel uh, around about the same time uh, tomorrow morning here on SENZ. Here's a little fact for you uh, that you might not realise, John. I've just read uh, a headline that's come through. It's pretty hot in the UAE where they're playing these games. It's pretty energy sapping and you lose a lot of, um, you dehydrate a lot, put it that way. You lose a, a lot of body yeah. weight. But did you realise in scoring 93, Martin Guptill has said now he's lost 4.4 kilos Ooh. during that innings. Imagine wow. that. 4.4 4. 4 kilos wow. in weight he lost scoring 93 in that particular time out there in that heat. Holy, Man. well, with three months in lockdown, Smithy, I could well do with that. So what, I just need to score 90-odd runs in the UAE and get back to the weight I probably should be? Yeah, well, if you have to score 93, I have to score a triple 100. It's 10.42 here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Getting a lot of really good texts about this issue, you know, and... They all come to light, and uh, we've got people uh, who are new to us anyway in terms of text, but obviously it's an emotive issue, and it's uh, the concussion one, and it's brought out of experience. The whole lot has been uh, coming to the surface out of your experiences with concussion and head knocks, etc., within the game. And here's one uh, that is perhaps it's from Matt. Uh, it probably just, just sums up the whole deal for me anyway this morning, and and I guess it highlights one of the problems. There's a lot of this below the surface. There's a lot below the surface uh, that until now people haven't really mentioned too much about. And, and maybe that in itself, maybe that in itself is the weight of the issue, the unknown. Uh, morning, Smithy. I've played rugby since I was four years old and absolutely love it still to this day. I play, played senior rugby for 15 years. Over that time I got knocked out four times. Each time I stood down for the required time with no symptoms, etc., and then got back into it. And that was totally my choice. I got back out there because I loved it. I loved the battle and the collisions. When I stopped playing, I took up coaching. I still love the game, even more to be honest. But as a coach, I would never let any of my boys back out on the field after a head knock, even if they begged me or we needed them badly to play. They always have to sit out the required time. I now have young kids, and within the next couple of years, they will no doubt want to play the game we love. I will let them. 
but I'll make sure they know how to tackle properly and safely. After all, knocking over the big kid is the best feeling. All I hope is they love the game knowing the risks, but it will always be their choice. Uh, and that's the try. I think that's the point that we've tried to make throughout the morning. Uh, it has always been the player's choice. Rugby is ingrained in us. It's deep within our system. Uh, it is like a religion to us, but as I said before, uh, no one absolutely makes you have to go to this church. Uh, it, it is, and that for that reason, I, I feel deeply for both sides of the argument here. I really do. Uh, and I know there's a lot of good people within the rugby administration, within the coaching of the game, etc., who don't have the physicality side of it anymore, but are very aware of it. Um, and finding the issue, finding the answer is, is the issue, and it can't be easy because they'd have found it by now. Rugby's an old game. 10.49 here on SENZ. When we come back, Louis Herman Watt, uh, and I think we'll talk to Pip Morris this morning on Ladies' Day at Flemington. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Good morning to you, Louis Herman Watt. It is Ladies' Day. The Kennedy Oaks uh, kicks off around 7.10 this evening at New Zealand time. And... Uh, Man, that's a fascinating race with a fairly even betting market. Smithy, do you have the lead for me? I mean, I didn't know what was going on in this market, but actually I've just refreshed it now. And I read an article about Willowy, the Godolphin runner, and James Cummins thought he, uh, she was rather she was bang on and she'd come through Wakefield State, Wakeful State's run in really good order into $3.30. So maybe there's the lead. Maybe there's the lead. Uh, Damien Oliver picks up the ride. Joe McNeil's not. So Damien Oliver is not going to be racing this weekend. He's been stood down after the Melbourne Cup meeting. But maybe he can pick up some more Group 1 success following Superstorm and Colette in the weekend. Maybe Ollie can make it three for the week here with Willowy. It's a really interesting race. The omen bet, of course, for our show would be Daisies. Um, mm. uh, <laughs> after it is. And I cannot emphasise this enough. Far better half. Um, so maybe he'll get Daisy involved there. James McDonald, what sort of form is he in? Um, there's a, it is a very uh, open betting race. Trent Busserton and Natalie Young have a market move, a glint of hope as well. And um, look, there's a couple. You could throw a blanket over a few here. I don't really know. The Toppy as well, Elusive Express, has been very consistent in her young career. Mm. The Oaks is a race that everyone wants to win if you own a Philly. It's a prestigious race, and for me, it's a dream as an owner of a wee filly. Well, it makes your fortune, too, um, as a breeder, I would imagine, if, you, uh, if you've got a share in one uh, there. Uh, Louis, also, of course, uh, back home in New Zealand, uh, we're racing at Otaki today, and um, led to believe that uh, that will be uh, a dead five. There you go. Not so much rain down there as we've had in Hawke's Bay. Yeah, no, not a bad track, which is really good to see. Um, the CD getting a fair go at it, so some of those nicer central district horses can have a run around. Look, I had a look at the fields, and nothing that really screams out to me. I think it's very even betting markets across the day. So the, it's Thursday, which means markets are open this weekend, racing at Tarapa. But more importantly, it is 2000 Guineas Day down in Christchurch at Rickerton Park, where you're going to be gracing the turf next week. Um, Rickenden Park, so the, the guineas, I went through the market this morning and made the case for each of the 
the runners, but it's a super even guineas field. There just doesn't seem like a standout. Novia at two dollars fifty has taken the early money, won so well in the water creed that it's probably fair enough. But across the book, looks very even. It's going to be a cracking race. Okay, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Johnny Barry's taking Polar Blast down there in race six. Race six, ten past three. Have a look at that one, Louis. Uh, and all the best with that. Uh, Paul Mawati uh, comes to us from the TAB this morning on another big race day. The the MLB is finished uh, for another season, so uh, the Atlanta Braves got there, Paul. Uh, so what's on the plate today? Uh, well, as you say, it's Ladies Day at Flemington with the Kennedy Oaks. Uh, we've got a bonus back promotion on the first two races from Flemington. Of course, I need your SCNZ showdown tip as well, Smitty. Um, mm. I'm guessing it might be golf, seeing as you've had quite a bit of success that way. Yeah, uh, just give me a second or two because uh, I know I wrote it down somewhere here and I'll be back with you. So just give us a, a couple of markets or something and I'll be with you um, yeah. as we speak. Yeah, no worries. We've got um, some cut-line power plays on the golf this weekend. There are a number of Kiwis in action across the world, so we thought we'd uh, bunch them all up and, and give punters a wee bit of a go. Uh, Stephen Elka, Danny Lee, or Daniel Hillier to win their tournament at $8. Uh, we've got Lydia Ko, top five, Daniel Hillier, top 10 in his tournament, and Danny Lee, top 20, paying $21. Uh, of course, Lydia Ko, hot favourite in Saudi Arabia. And Danny Lee was second last week, uh, although he is out to $100 uh, this week. Uh, any two of Lydia Co, Danny Lee and Daniel Hillier to finish in the top five, that's paying $8. Uh, you can find those cut line okay. power plays on the golf page. I'll give you Billy, Ho- Billy Horschel, uh, top 10. Billy Horschel, top 10 in the Worldwide Technology Championship for us this week. And that's it, four bucks. The all Thanks very much to Paul Moati. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, it's football time. Uh, this week. We always love it at this time to catch up late in the week with the developments of uh, the Champions League in particular and uh, the football coming up this weekend. And uh, we always go to uh, Ricardo Ball uh, when we need this information because, quite simply, he has it all. Uh, so good morning to you, uh, Ricardo. The first thing I've got to ask you is a, a sort of a group decision that we made. Uh, we, we've noticed your phone number, uh, but we're not going to give it out publicly, but there's a hell of a lot of sevens in it, mate. Did you choose that for any particular reason? <laughs> uh, to be honest, Smithy, it was, it was a happy accident. I, uh, when I, I started at another radio station back in, I think it was 99 or 2000, uh, that was the number that they gave me, and I've just managed to keep it and hold on to it because I thought, oh, well, Everybody's got this number for me now. Everybody knows it. It's easy to remember. So I just managed to hold on to it. So, yeah, but plenty of sevens, mate, plenty of sevens. And, uh, uh, you know, there's a there's a United seven for each one in my head, at least. Yeah, I bet there is. And um, some of us uh, worn that uh, particular jersey over the years came to your rescue again yesterday. Uh, Manchester United, two-all draw with a late one, uh, a late winner after scoring earlier uh, from Cristiano Ronaldo. And that's uh, at, uh, away to Atalanta. Yeah, yeah, the guy is just yeah, Mr. Inevitable, really, isn't he? He just uh, seems to make it happen. Even when he cruises through games, you don't see much of him. When something needs to be done, he turns up and does it. And uh, he scored two yesterday. He's now scored, Smitty. Yeah, there's 139 goals in Champions League football, which um, is mm. ahead of Messi by about four or five now, I think. 
And, uh, yeah, he's just superb and, and just keeps on going. Uh, so is this a stay of execution? Uh, you, you've talked about the inevitability of, of Ole Gunnar, but is that, I mean, a draw away, is that, is that really a stay of execution? Probably at this stage, yeah. I mean, after the, the 3 0 winning against Spurs as well, uh, I mean, if you, Atalanta probably uh, on the face of it in this group with the next toughest challenge, they've finished third in the, in the Serie A uh, in Italy, which is, uh, you know, their top division for the last three seasons in a row. So they're a very good side. So I think if you'd offered Oli four points from two games against them before the competition mm-hmm. kicked off, he would have taken it. Uh, so I think that the, uh, the draw in this game, is uh, the result itself is not bad. The performance will, will ask a few questions. And the fact that uh, Rafael Varane has gone down with a hamstring injury, which I'm reading this morning, is going to keep him out for about a month, is, um, is a really big blow. So uh, I guess uh, from here, it's how he goes about um, you know, sort of fi- fixing things at the back, because not only is Varane missing, but Harry Maguire, who had been out injured and came back for that Leicester game, hasn't looked the same player. I don't know if he's still playing injured or he's uh, he just doesn't look 100% sharp, he doesn't look 100% fit, uh, so there's definitely problems in the defence at the moment uh, Looking at the Champions League uh, results from today in particular, uh, some of them have just completed, AC Milan and uh, Porto won all, Real Madrid over Shatka Donitz uh, 2-1, uh, Ajax winning over Dortmund 3-1, Liverpool uh, of interest to a lot of our listeners Liverpool up, uh, uh, just beaten uh, Atletico Madrid 2-0 Manchester City dominant over Club Brugge 4-1. A, a late penalty for Lipsick to draw two all at home with Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, Inter Milan uh, 3-1 winners over Sheriff and Sporting dominant over Besiktas uh, 4-0. So uh, on the development or on those uh, particular results this morning, any developments of interest that you can see across the particular groups, Ricardo? Well, I think, uh, you know, one that needs to be talked about, and it pains me to do it, Smitty, as you'd know, but is, is Liverpool. Uh, I mean, they, they won 2-0 today against Atletico Madrid, but it could have been 4 or 5 easily. Atletico had a player sent off as well uh, early on, and, um, you know, they, they kind of took their foot off the gas and just managed the game from there. Uh, they are now 25 games unbeaten, Liverpool. So they're unbeaten in the Premier League this season, uh, and they have played for 1-4 in the Champions League as well. So they've already, after this morning, qualified for the round of 16. So they've qualified out of their group already. Uh, they're head and shoulders above everybody in their group. And when you consider, you know, when the draw was done for this group, you were talking AC Milan, who uh, had done great things in Serie A last season, nearly won it. Uh, you're talking Porto, the Portuguese champions. And, of course, you're talking Atletico Madrid with Diego Simeone, who are, have been to Champions League tw- uh, finals twice under Simeone and are the reigning Spanish champions. Uh, so on paper, I looked at that draw when it came out, and I was like, man, this is a horrible draw for Liverpool. It's probably going to go down to the last match day before we know who qualifies out of this group, because it was, on paper at least, it looked so even. But they've walked it, absolutely walked it. So uh, sensational for them, and uh, fantastic uh, performance from a management coaching point of view from Jurgen Klopp. I think you've got to, you've got to really hand him uh, that. They've, they've done a fantastic job there. The other one as you mentioned, is PSG. Uh, now Mauricio Pochettino is in charge there, the former Spurs boss. And all that uh, the, the bosses at PSG want is success in the Champions League. And uh, things have been really rocky for them. Uh, Club Brugge, who you mentioned earlier, who's the Belgian champions at City beat 4-1, they held PSG to a draw 
in Bruges uh, earlier in the competition. Now we've seen Leip- uh, Leipzig, I mean, they could have won this game, Leipzig. They missed a penalty earlier in the game as well, so two all, but I mean, they left another goal out there. Mm. So uh, things aren't really cranking for them yet. I don't think they've quite figured out how to get Messi, Mbappe and Neymar all playing together. Messi was missing today, he's got an injury, uh, but they just don't seem to be firing at the moment, PSG. And, uh, you know, just to hark back to what you said about Oli, Gunnar Solskjaer, you know, um, that Antonio Conte is now at Spurs doesn't let him off the hook because there's every chance that PSG, if things don't continue to go well in the, in the Champions League, could pull the trigger on Pochettino, who's only got a year left. And he's certainly a manager that United have previously looked at. OK, let's uh, just touch on Spurs. I know you don't really want to, but uh, here's the go. Uh, you, you, you mentioned uh, Conte's going, uh, and that means that's the end of the road uh, there anyway for Nuno. Espirito Santo, he's gone, and uh, they say he was doomed uh, from uh, quite some time ago. Uh, so uh, mm. the other news coming out of there, I believe, is that Harry Kane has uh, again decided to stay, which is great news for Spurs fans. So uh, what about the chances of a turnaround, a quick one under Conte? Well, I think uh, Conte's a very, very good manager. Um, he would be, he'd be one of the top four or five in Europe, I think, um, top managers. I mean, he's... He's won Serie A last season, went into Milan. He's gone into uh, Chelsea previously and, and, and won the title in England there with Chelsea. So, you know, he's a guy that knows how to win. He's won, won Serie A with Juventus previously as well. I'm just wondering whether or not he's got the right cattle at Spurs at the moment. I think he will improve them now. It's just how much he can improve them. Um, I think that's the big question. And the other thing with Conte is he's a, quite a fiery character. You know, in the past when he was at Chelsea, he publicly called out Roman Abramovich for not giving him enough funds and not doing what he needed him to do. Uh, he's done it with Inter Milan's owners. He's done it with Juve's owners. He's done it all, 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 all wherever he's gone. Uh, he certainly uh, doesn't take a backward step. And it's going to be interesting to see how this works out at Spurs because Daniel Levy, who's the man who holds the reins at Tottenham Hotspur, is very much a man who likes to be in control, a puppeteer-type uh, sort of character, if you like. I don't know how he's going to go with being challenged by somebody like Antonio Conte. So it's going to be really interesting. Generally, Conte will start well. Uh, it's just where it goes from there. He doesn't tend to stick around long. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone within sort of 18 months, two years. Let's uh, look at the games coming up uh, this weekend. Then uh, the lights will be on fairly early Sunday morning, I would imagine, in the Ricard- Ricardo Ball household. Uh, as uh, Old Trafford lights up as well, United and City. Yeah, and this is going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting game because City uh, obviously lost last weekend to Crystal Palace while they were at home as well, and um, that uh, they'll they'll be wanting to bounce back from that. It also means that uh, Merrick Laporte, who's uh, pretty much their number one centre back, got sent off in that game, so he's going to be missing. Of course, we've already mentioned uh, that United are going to be missing Rafael Varane, so. Uh, they're both going to be slightly undermanned. Um, Paul Pogba's also going to be missing from United because he got sent off against Liverpool. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, from a United point of view, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sets up. Generally, what he's had done, uh, formation-wise with United is four at the back, three in midfield, and three up front. But against Spurs, he changed things around. He played the three centre-backs with two wing-backs, two sitting midfielders, and then, uh, and then a, a playmaker with a front two. Uh, with, which was Cavani and, and Ronaldo, and he, and he kept that formation for Atalanta until Varane got injured. So that seems to block up the middle a lot better uh, and, and make United more solid through the middle. 
I'm not sure if he's going to do that again against City without Varane. Uh, but uh, I think it's going to be key to see how United set up for that game. Uh, last season, United against City, Chelsea and Liverpool combined, I think they kept uh, about four clean sheets from the six games. They actually did all right against the big teams. So Ollie's record against City and against Pep is actually really good. So, yeah, I'm intrigued to see how this goes. To me, it's, it's, it could be a, a really tight affair. Uh, within the top uh, four as well uh, is a very interesting clash with uh, West Ham at home to Liverpool. Uh, West Ham are having a bumper season thus far, 10 games in. Any chance of ending that miracle Liverpool run? Well, yeah, I think every chance at the moment. Uh, I mean, it's got to happen at some point, um, I, I think. And, you know, Liverpool have... Uh, it's about keeping players up mentally as much as anything. Um, and, you know, if you go from... Uh, a, a game against Manchester United, who are your bigger, biggest, bitterest rivals, into a midweek Champions League game against Atletico Madrid, who that was a spicy game, lots of cards in it, and those two teams' history, so they were up for it. It's trying to get Liverpool up again and on the road. Uh, so I think, I'm not saying that it's uh, that he can't do it, the Eugene Klopp, but I think it's a very much a possibility that we Sam can get something out of this, given the way that they've been playing as well. and you know, you have to look at a player like Declan Rice and what he's been able to do. He really dictates play for West Ham. He uh, has a really calming presence in front of their back line. He will probably nullify someone like Roberto Firmino, who is a number nine but tends to play a bit deeper, almost more like a number 10 role, and has his wingers or other attacking players and Salah and Mane run past him. So uh, Rice is going to be key, but, uh, you know, he's not the only one that... Uh, Mikel Antonio is really a really dangerous forward player. He's going to ask lots of questions of that back line as well. So looking forward to this game, I think this could be the game of the weekend rather than the Manchester Derby, to be honest, because I think the Manchester Derby will be quite play quite close to the chest. OK, uh, let's uh, briefly touch on Burnley because of uh, our watch on uh, Chris Wood and New Zealanders in the top flight. Uh, they, they won a game. They got uh, a victory over Brentford, but they've got Chelsea this weekend to sit atop. Yes, they do, uh, and it's you know Chelsea's Chelsea's never going to be easy. And to be honest, I think you know Chelsea at the moment. Uh, I know they've got no Romelu Lukaku; he's injured. But what that's meant is that Chelsea have kind of gone back to the way they played last year, um, and it, and it kind of mirrors City a lot. Uh, you know, they tend to play with somebody like Kai Havertz as a bit of a false nine. They don't have an out-and-out striker, uh, and they've got lots of playmakers, lots of guys who can get on the ball and do things. You know, uh, guys like. Uh, Ziyech and Mount, players of that ilk. Um, and they've got guys who can score goals, um, you know, and guys who can win games for them from anywhere. I mean, the top scorers at the moment, I think, are Reese James and Ben Chilwell, their two, they're two wing-backs. So Chelsea are capable of hurting you from anywhere. And to be honest, I actually think they played better without Lukaku. So yeah, I wouldn't be holding out too much hope for Burnley this weekend. I think Chelsea get this one and get it one pretty comfortably. Uh, just finally, uh, the, one of the ugly sides of football, and we see it raise its head from time to time, is uh, you know, r- racist abuse because of the, the, the number of uh, multicultural teams and, and uh, the fact that players come from uh, all corners of the earth to play in the competition. But uh, here we find uh, one fan who's been jailed for 10 weeks over a Facebook rant against three black England players. So, I mean, it, it, just, doesn't, it just doesn't end the stupidity. No, mate, it doesn't. Uh, it's good to see something finally happen, something with actually some consequence 
finally happen on this front, you know, because for too long people have been able to hide behind their keyboards and uh, say whatever they like about whoever they like and know that they're not going to have any repercussions. Well, it looks like that is ending and the British police have really uh, stepped up looking at this. I mean, I know that uh, it's because it's potentially, it might have been a bit different if uh, it had been three black players who played for another country that got the abuse rather than three black players who played for England, uh, you, could, you could argue. But the fact that they've done this, I think, is fantastic. Um, and it, 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 hopefully it's just the tip of the iceberg and they can they can sort of prevent this sort of stuff from happening. I was uh, one of the uh, defenders who plays for Aston Villa, I can't remember which one it was now, but he posted the other day about, you know, um, the Premier League and FIFA and, and UEFA and all these bodies are very quick. If somebody puts highlights of a game up, Pirates highlights of a, of a game that we've watched uh, and puts them up online within two hours, that account will be closed and those highlights will be gone and you won't be able to see it. So why can't they do the same with racism? And I think it's a, it's a fantastic point that he's made. And hopefully we're getting to the point now where it will get um, straightened out and we'll see an end of it. Ricardo, uh, love this segment and love you updating me and our listeners on everything that's going on in the football world, mate. Uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, and uh, enjoy the success at the weekend, I hope, on your behalf. Yeah, same here, Smithy. Thanks very much, mate. And uh, yeah, enjoy enjoy Conte. I think it's going to be a wild ride as a Spurs fan. Uh, well, they've never been uh, predictable, have they? Uh, as soon as you think they've got the game nailed, uh, they lose 6-0. So there you go. Uh, Ricardo Ball, thank you very, very much uh, for your input this morning. It is 11.18 here on SENZ. When we come back after the break, uh, a couple more texts to read out. Plus... It's time for Pacing for Purpose, our harness racing tip of the week for charity. To behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's uh, interesting, uh, yeah, some of the things coming in uh, about this. Another text from Barry. Uh, Hi, Smithy. We hear about the high-profile injured players, but there will be many who play at a lower level without, uh, with minimal supervision who we never hear about, uh, and that is dead true, Barry. There's no doubt about it. There is too much physical power and contact situations in the 15-man game. I believe that a safer environment lies in 10 players aside matches, which would lead to more running and fewer injuries. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, less collisions, uh, more space. Uh, there would be uh, absolutely no problem with that, and uh, I'm not sure if that's something they're, they're going to look at. I know uh, junior, real junior rugby, very few sides have more than about eight or ten players on the field at any one time, if that, uh, as they start out. So, but you're not going to ever change the 15-man game, Barry. Uh, that would be, that would be um, a bit of a, a pipe dream, really, I would imagine, and I don't think that's uh, ever, ever really a possibility, John. Get Nasser on the phone. He is in another orbit. Lazarus does it again. SNZ is pacing for purpose. Thanks to Harness Racing New Zealand. Okay, yeah, pacing for, for purpose for us. Uh, each uh, week we put something on as an inter-show bet, um, and it is uh, about living the dream, really, if you want to get involved in the harness racing industry, uh, New Zealand harness racing. You go to hrnz.co.nz, you can get involved in ownership. Uh, it's a wonderful industry. Uh, and uh, it's a great night out, the trots too, I can promise you that. And they're going to, uh, even though the crowds can't get there to Cup Day, uh, it is still a special time of the year, and we'll try to reflect it as we uh, put someone on course down there next week, uh, and also the coverage that you'll get on trackside, uh, whatever 
Um, meanwhile, um, we are in this competition, the morning show, and our donation will go to Women's Refuge. We had a good start, and we need to follow it up with another one. So tomorrow night, uh, we have gone to uh, Alexandra Park, race one, at 5.46 p.m. Uh, that's what time uh, this race will be uh, starting, hopefully. Uh, and we've gone to horse number eight, the Big Bird. Now, the Big Bird at this point in time is paying a pretty handsome $5.90. Not sure that'll be the case uh, when the TAB guys put the bet on, but we wouldn't mind that at five ninety if it's going to be there or thereabouts. John, what's the information on the horse? You continue to question me about what, what do they say I about do. this horse? Uh, trained trained and driven by the Dickey family. Yeah, because I never know what they mean when they put in the little comment under the horse. And this one for the Big Bird uh, is off her game on the 22nd of October after a bold second fresh up. Follow your money, mm. semicolon. Big chance. So follow your money and after a bold second fresh up. Like, is it drinking fresh up or what's going on here? No, a fresh up means it's had a spell, right? It's come back and fresh up. First start after the spell, it finished second, which is the bold fresh up. Uh, and then follow your money tends to suggest they're saying it was very unlucky and it'll be better this time around uh, when it, it finished out of the money. Uh, in fact, big fat zero next to its name. So uh, let's be honest about this, John. Yep. It's time you got uh, a little bit more familiar with the lingo to get my drift. Yep. Uh, the horse is um, favoured to win um, and uh, therefore we're on it at $5.90 and let's hope that we can add to that pool to give to Women's Refuge. Uh, on the subject uh, of just reminding you about things as well, uh, you can uh, join uh, the Phil Tautarangi podcast, uh, and this is uh, called the Whisker Series, and it's about the experiences uh, of Kiwi legends with mental health. And he had a fascinating one with Slade McFarlane just the other day. I listened to segments of that, and it was well worth the listen, and uh, very, very honest and, um, and open. Uh, about the problems uh, that he has had um, with with the mental side of um, getting away from playing sport. Uh, so you can donate to Movember at the same time and join the Whiskers series. Just go into that Tee It Up with uh, Phil uh, website and you'll find those podcasts uh, there. And uh, also a reminder that uh, the Black Caps aren't out of action for long, uh, that in fact that they will be playing uh, Namibia tomorrow night at 11 o'clock. Uh, courtesy of Razine Paints and uh, PIC Insurance Brokers. You'll be able to listen to that coverage uh, with Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott, ball by ball. So uh, a couple of reminders there. Uh, and uh, John, as uh, we head into um, uh, that time where we stump Smithy and the phone lines are about to line up at uh, 0800 150811, uh, I can confirm to you that Rahul Dravid has been named as the new coach of India. We had John Wright on. That's when the rumours were going around about that. The man they called the wall, you just could not shift him uh, when he got to stuck in, in the middle. Uh, Rahul Dravid, uh, I think he's the perfect choice. Very, very popular in India. Um, Non-confrontational sort of a person. Uh, will be very thorough in his planning. Uh, and uh, he has uh, said in his, uh, his thank you, it's an absolute honour to be appointed head coach. There are some marquee multi-team events in the next two years and I look forward to working with the players and the support staff to achieve our potential in a very volatile coaching position. Uh, the next Men's T20 World Cup is set to take place in Australia in October and November of next year, so that's not too far away, is it? And uh, that's before India hosts the next 50-over World Cup in 2023. Uh, but, of course, all of that is 
COVID related. So, John, no surprise, dollar one and shortening. No. Rahul Dravid. But a lot of pressure. Man, like with every tournament India go to, and it looks like they'll be bundled out of this T20 World Cup early as well. Uh, didn't win the World Test Championship, didn't win the last World Cup. Like, he's coming into a pressure position, isn't he, Smithy? Like, they, they, they'll be getting desperate like we were with the All Blacks in 2011, won't they, to win a, a World Championship? Well, what they'll be wanting is instant, instant success. If they get barreled out of this, I promise you, uh, Rahul, uh, Rahul Dravid will come into a situation where there is some serious, instant expectation. What will he do with the captaincy of the side? It would be a brave man to walk in and say, Virat Kohli, you're not the captain anymore, and give it to someone else. Is there a la- another obvious uh, replacement in Test cricket? Rahani, who did so well without Kohli in Australia, is a real possibility there. But would you put your job on the line... Uh, your neck on the line so early in the piece to remove an iconic figure uh, like Virat Kohli as the head, as the head of your team. Dunno if that's the Rahul Dravid way. We'll find out the future anyway. Uh, the immediate future here on SENZ is the Stump Smithy. Uh, it is 11.30, Please uh, come on and light up the phones and uh, let's hope that you can win 50 bucks from the TAB. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Here we are again, Stumped by Smithy, the daily quiz we have at 11.30, which gives you the opportunity to win 50 bucks from the TAB and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And on the line today we have Kerry. G'day, Kerry, where are you calling from? Uh, the Manor too, mate. Manawatu, big region, beautiful region, gets a lot of airtime on this station. Um, so, yeah, we got rid of Formula One yesterday, finally. So your three categories today are basketball, cricket and rugby. Which one of those do you like? Silence. Doesn't like any of them. You still there, Kerry? No? No, we might have to move on. Damn. Okay. We're out of the Manawatu and we're heading to the South Island then. David, how are you? Morning, John. Morning, Ian. Uh, did you hear those sporting categories? Yeah, look, I'll take Smithy on on his home track, eh, cricket? Oh, this never ends well, Smithy, for our competitors. This always ends up well for no. you, though. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, David. That's all I can say to you. Good luck to you. Thank you. All right, David, did you play a bit? Or do you still? Yeah, 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 played a bit. No, not for a while now. A bit of an amateur golfer these days, that's about it. It's quite often the way, isn't it, with cricketers go towards golf? I don't know, something about hitting a ball um, and maybe getting frustrated. Uh, Both games very frustrating. (laughs) But uh, let's hope you'll be a winner today without the frustration. So question number one. The first T20 World Cup was held in South Africa in 2007. Who won the tournament? Um, was it Sri Lanka? One of the worst things I have oh. ever seen done on a cricket field. It was not Sri Lanka. Smithy, a chance for a stumping. Who won the inaugural T20 World Cup in 2007? Uh, the original T20 World Cup in 2007 uh, was won by Australia. One of the worst things 
I have ever seen done on a cricket field. It was a subcontinent final, David, and it was India who beat Pakistan for the 2007 T20 World Cup. So I missed stumping there, you're still alive. Question number oh, two. I'm hanging in. Yeah, yeah. T Twenty <laughs> World Cup back then, Smithy. Though it wasn't a, was it a big deal? Like it was kind of. Well, bit... it was pro- the fact that India won it was probably one of the uh, the starts of the IPL. To be honest, they got on board with it. Uh, they beat Pakistan, which is hugely significant, as you well know, and it was probably one of the reasons for the very healthy birth and following of the IPL at that point became majorly successful and I, I for one, should have damn well remembered that. But go on, John. All right. Question number two. (laughs) Who has hit the most sixes in international T20s? Um, Who has hit the most sixes? I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Uh, Coley doesn't quite clear the rope as well as some people do, Smithy. Most sixes in international T20s. i got a sneaking feeling he hit seven more this morning. Uh, I'm going to go with one of our boys. I'm going to go with the guppy, Martin Guptill. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. You have been stumped, David. You took on Smithy at cricket, and just like so many others, you have been dismissed. Yeah, it was brave, but I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> well done, David. Well done. You got the right attitude. Give it a go another day. Martin Guptill, 154 sixes. Rohit Sharma, second with 137. So a bit of a competition between those two. And sometimes the universe just works for you. And we've got Kerry back on the line. He was supposed to be first. And he's got the opportunity with question number three to win it all, Kerry. Are you there? Yeah, sorry about that. The old bucket must have gotten away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the bucket slipped off the head and onto the phone. All right, but we've got you now. If you get this right, you get some sleep drops and 50 bucks from the TAB, but get it wrong and it all jackpots. So, India are New Zealand's bunnies when it comes to ICC events. When was the last time India beat the Black Caps at a big tournament? Uh, 2012. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not even sure if there was a big event in 2012. Probably was with T20 cricket around these days. But Smithy, not correct. So a chance for a stumping and we can jackpot it to tomorrow. Yeah, or we could jackpot it to tomorrow if I get this right, John. But at the moment, uh, I'm not a big one on the history of the game, the stats. I mean, I always look forward to the next game rather than the last one, to be fair. Uh, So I'm going to say it wasn't in T20 cricket. I'm going to say it was more in 50 over cricket. Uh, and so I'm going back to, through uh, the years there, 2009, 2015, no, didn't happen then. Um, 2011, I'll say 2007. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Yeah. Just needed to go back one more World Cup. 2003 World Cup, India, last time they beat us at a major ICC event, which means, Kerry, you miss out on the sleep drops, but you get yourself 50 bucks from the TAB. That's not bad. Yeah, buddy, great. Thank you very much. Awesome, mate. Just perseverance pays off sometimes. Well done. Yep. Thank you. Stay on the line, Kerry. Uh, stay on the line, and uh, all the best for turning that money into uh, a little bit more if you choose to do so. It is uh, 11.30 here on SENZ. Uh, and when, when we return, uh, what about some phone calls? Um, uh, I've even seen a text come through where someone is actually keen to ring up and have a chat. Uh, please do. Uh, you'll have the opportunity to do that.
Uh, we can talk about the concussion issue if you want to. We can talk about the Cricket World Cup if you want to. Dave has texted in and said, Hi, Smithy. Does it mean that everyone, and this is a different view, uh, does this mean that everyone that has buggered knees with arthritis, etc., etc., from playing rugby should be suing the game? These guys are quite happy to bank the money. Can't have it each way. Dave's point of view. And there's a few in that camp as well. So uh, there we go. Uh, that is... <clears throat> that is a text that's coming along those matters. If you've got something to say and you want to call us uh, rather than text, please do. 0800 150 Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 11.44 as we head towards midday when, uh, of course, Staffy takes over for the afternoon. Uh, Zane has uh, called in and uh, Zane, of course, was uh, the beneficiary of... Uh, some wonderful texting and messages he's been sending in. Of course, uh, he picked up the massive prize last week. But uh, one of the things I like about Zane is he has a considered opinion on most things. And one of the issues today, uh, Zane, is, of course, the issue of uh, uh, Carl Heyman and uh, this early onset dementia as a result of head injuries uh, he's uh, got within the game of rugby. Uh, what's your thoughts on, uh, on the concussion side of things? Yeah, I, um, I definitely feel for him and a lot of the other pro guys, but I'm kind of with Barry, the guy who texted in earlier about um, you know, what happens with the local park footy players. You know, I, um, I'm a 1970s baby, so I played um, a lot of footy in the 90s at high school. And I had guys in my team who would get knocked out every second week right throughout high school. And at 48 now, I just wonder what's going on with them, you know, who's supporting them. Um, you know, it must be absolutely terrible. Um yeah, I, what's luckily what's I need the answer, mate? I, I honestly don't know, to what, be honest. I, mean, I, I, also, I agree with the caller earlier about um, the, the um, what are cleaning out in the rucks and so forth, but I, I really don't think there is an answer. I mean, I've got my, my son, he rides scooters. Um, luckily, he wears a helmet, but um, I wouldn't have him playing rugby, to be honest. You know, I struggle to get out of bed in the morning and only play till I was 21. So, um, you know, my body yeah, would be dead, uh, uh, so. It's, it's a tough one, Zane, because the game's not going to go away, you know that, um, and it's always going to attract young New Zealand athletes, male or female, because of the prize of the jersey. It's also a really good career path these days, um, and it, it's something that's ingrained in our system, and, and it's not going to change uh, until uh, that's, that feeling or that desire somehow wanes a wee bit, but I, I don't see that happening in the future either. But to be honest, you know, you, you feel like at our generation we're so passionate about all kinds of footy that we don't think it's going away. But my son's 12 years old. None of his mates have got absolutely any interest at all in rugby. They don't even watch the ABs. I took them to the Super Rugby last year and they wanted to go home at half time. So I think we shouldn't get you know, too complacent thinking just because our generation loves it that it will continue to be our number one sport, um, even with the lure of the All Blacks jersey. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, but um, at least I've got a bed to help me get out of bed in the morning once it arrives. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, um, that is, that is the, the good news. What about the Warriors? What about the Warriors? How are yeah, they shaping mate, up? I'm, gonna, I'm getting on my high horse, mate. Um, I'm normally pretty logical in my text, but um, these guys are doing my head in at the moment. You know, we look back six months ago, we get um, Gus Gould on, comes in, he's going to set up a um, Panthers-style recruitment team. You know, three weeks later, he's gone. Then we have Peter O'Sullivan, our manager, who's been leading all the recruitment drives for this um, you know, vital recruitment window starting from the 1st of November. We let him walk out the door a few days before. You know, Not the greatest recruiter bringing guys like Kane Evans, but still he's been the one who's dealing with these managers. How do they let, let him just walk out the door four days in? You know, We've got no one 
um, we're looking to you know, get on board now that we haven't got Joey Manu. I'd really love to know from Cameron George what the what the um, focus is going to be over the next couple of years. I'm not sure if you know, we've got six spots still open in our roster for next year. How are they going to fill those? You know. Well, I can tell you this, really Zane. I can, I, I can tell you this, mate. We we will be getting Cameron George. He's indicated that he'll come on the show next week. So. We shall ask him those questions uh, about uh, filling those roles and not just the ones on the field. It's, it's those support roles and those integral roles around cr- recruitment uh, as well. Yeah, so uh, Zane is always... We're signing some guy for, um, to look after the young fellas from Kensington College or something in Auckland, but it's just, you know, where are they going? Are we going to be a recruitment club or a recruitment, uh, yeah, development club? I'd love to hear from them. Okay. We'll, we'll ask him those questions uh, on your behalf and, and those of many of our listeners as well, mate. Enjoy the bed. Uh, thanks again for making contact. Uh, some texts have come in this morning. Uh, hey, Smithy, a bit concerned about your health. Uh, been tuning in this morning and yet to hear you mention the mighty Hawks Bay Magpies. Uh, well, you don't want to gloat too much, uh, Alistair. I mean, yeah, we know you are they're just a great side. I mean, it goes without saying, really. Sometimes you don't have to bother. Um, and, and I agree with you, too. Uh, how good are the squads looking for Super Rugby or Picky? I, I reckon it's shaping up really well. And, and uh, you know, it's only just the promotion of it with the naming of the squads, etc. It's only just the start of it. Uh, the, the way they build up to that, uh, let's just hope um, the way we're living at the time uh, is acceptable and makes uh, the opportunity of a fully-fledged flowing competition with players playing at home and away for so they can get their franchises up and running and get support bases. Let's just hope for that. Uh, Smithy says, Stephen, love the Hawks Bay Lager advert. Your running reminds me of the Lager Bar in Hastings and the Clive Rugby practice late in the 70s. Great times. Did you ever visit at the Lager Bar, Stephen? The Lager Bar? I'll tell you what, the Lager Bar was an institution back in my early days playing club sport here in Hawks Bay. We had, and that had, the strongest lager in the country. Uh, it was brewed by Leopard. Uh, which is a brewery just down the road. We kind of figured they had an instant pipeline straight in there because they never ran out. But it had this extra octane to it, John. So what we would do, um, we'd, we'd play pre-season games of cricket against uh, clubs from Wellington. I think uh, collegians used to come up and play because they liked the opportunity of playing grass on grass wickets early in the season. And we had a better climate up here, so clubs would come. And the, we'd always play like Saturday and Sunday. But on Friday night, we'd say, we'll meet you at the Lager Bar. Meet you at the Lager Bar or have a couple of quiets just before the game. Nah, no problem there. Uh, back in those days, that was the done thing. Um, and by you, you give them four or five, six lagers, all of a sudden they'd be talking Braille and they'd, they'd be going, no good on Saturday morning, I can promise you that. It had something special. If you could handle if you could handle the lager at the Lager Bar, mate, you could drink for the world living. And I shouldn't even be talking about this subject because drinking copious accounts of alcohol is a terrible, terrible thing to be talking about. And I just give myself a jolly good rap over the knuckles for doing it. Um, but I just digress. Uh, the other thing to talk about, ah, here's a good one too. The first T20 World Cup, the BCCI, Border Control Cricket in India, didn't take it seriously. So they sent a young team with a young up-and-coming wicketkeeper batsman to captain it, and they won, and he became the one of the most successful captains in the game. Yep, M.S. Dhoni came out of that. So thank you very much for your texts and phone calls uh, throughout the morning. It's been very, very informing and enlightening. 11.51 here on SCNZ. When we return, talk of enlightenment, we'll have Mark Stafford.